welcome to the ID Talk Podcast. My name is Peter Counter, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of 5Biometrics and Mobile ID World, where we have spent the recent weeks focusing on identity technologies in healthcare and how biometrics can enhance patient ID, electronic health records, and even diagnosis. Here on ID Talk, we are continuing that healthcare biometrics conversation, and that's why today I am happy to welcome Jeff Carpenter, Product Marketing Director of Cloud Authentication in IAM Solutions at HID Global. Our conversation begins with getting to know the daily identity interactions of healthcare professionals, and then exploring the different ways biometrics can make their lives easier. We then shift to the fascinating topic of visitor management in hospitals, and how biometrics can be used to facilitate a secure and convenient user experience while also protecting data. And of course, we talk about patients too, in context to a discussion of e-prescription and identity in the age of the opioid crisis. Healthcare is a crucial market for biometrics and identity technology, and I had a great time speaking with Jeff on the topic. So without further ado, here's my conversation with HID Global's Jeff Carpenter on the ID Talk podcast. I'm joined today by Jeff Carpenter, Product Marketing Director of Cloud Authentication in IAM Solutions at HID Global. Jeff, thank you for joining me today on ID Talk. It's great to be here, Peter. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'd like to start a conversation on the topic of the life and identity of a healthcare professional. How does identity and authentication fit into the daily life of a nurse, doctor, or clinician? Yeah, well, you know, if you think about what a daily life of a healthcare worker looks like, I mean, they're dealing with high pressure situations. They're dealing with, uh, you know, critical care for patients. They want to make sure they deliver the best care. And they're dealing with systems that contain incredibly sensitive information. So think about where financial services were 15 years ago. You know, I mean, they were basically accessing systems anywhere with a username and and self-selected password. Well, healthcare is uh, kind of in that same state, although strides have been made to move beyond that. So the way identity and authentication fit into this is that nurses and doctors and clinicians need to be able to kind of fit that matrix. Yeah, first of all, love the comparison to FinServe because that's definitely where we've been seeing this. It really does seem like now healthcare is in that that's same right. space that-, that Playing catch uh, up a little bit. Yep. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, to be fair to, to them, they're operating in a very high risk, highly regulated environment. Um, What are some of the different ways, though, that biometrics can be deployed to make life easier for these healthcare workers? Sure. You know, there is no one monolithic, one-size-fits-all healthcare environment. Uh, For example, when you're talking about authentication, how do you provide that multi-factor authentication to that healthcare worker? Some wear gloves, right? So a finger swipe may not be optimal. Others wear masks, so a face scan might not be optimal for them. Um, and there are, you know, ways you can do biometrics through the a mobile device, but there are very sensitive theaters such as MRI and X-ray uh, rooms within hospitals that don't allow use of cell phones. The way that biometrics can be deployed is really, you know, for those workers who can utilize fingers, great, swipe your finger, get access to the system you need. Face is emerging as uh, it's trending, I should say as a biometric that's increasingly getting acceptance among healthcare workers, because you can just walk up to a terminal, a card on wheels, and you know, would type a pin after it's done your face scan, it's all very seamless, you get, get instant access there. And then a new way, Peter, that we're seeing is the behavioral biometrics. You know, the mm. being able to type in your pin or password 
but have that enforced with an algorithm that's looking at how you've typed your lift, your press, your transfer along the keyboard, and is able to provide a supplemental authentication you know, to make sure that you are that health professional that you claim to be. So biometrics has a big role in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And it's really fascinating that behavioral biometrics are making their way in there again. There's a there's a big uh, parallel there with the the FinServe applications. You know, we often associate healthcare with the hospital and the doctor's office, but it's obviously very much more than that. Beyond the hospital and the clinic, what are some other healthcare spaces that can benefit from biometrics? Sure. Yeah, the you know, healthcare is an industry, right? And it, there's a lot of different moving parts and our minds instantly go to the hospital or the clinic, but there's of course labs and there are pharmacies and there there are transcription services and there's a whole ecosystem of healthcare services, all of which join together in transmitting and accessing some very sensitive information. And so, you know, when we look at um, you know healthcare space, biometrics can help with that too. It helps, I, I like to look at it in two ways. You know, number one, biometrics can provide the authentication. So it can actually take and, and verify that it's that user who is supposed to be accessing that system. Um, but it also provides two other functions that I find really interesting. And, and one is proof of presence. And proof of presence means that it is that individual who has now swiped their finger or presented their face at that particular time within that time window that they're supposed to. And then the other application is identification, you know, which in the, the healthcare really isn't, you know, for healthcare professionals, you should already be a member of, of that organization or known and vetted to that organization. But identification can also, you know, hey, who are you? don't know, you know, swipe your finger and, you know, can compare it to a, a list of individuals and, and figure out who you are. But the way it works in labs and pharmacies and other parts of the healthcare ecosystem is protecting that sensitive information and who has access to it. It's, it's very critical that only the very strongest methods, you know, that we move away from user-selected passwords or pins and we move on to other methods such as biometrics. Well, and especially in those in those areas like labs and pharmacies where you need to have accurate audit trails and stuff like that. Exactly. The proof of presence. We touched on this a little bit before, but why is a multimodal approach to biometrics the best avenue for deploying biometrics in healthcare spaces? Yeah. So when we talk about multimodal, again, I'm gonna go back to the fintech, you know, market of 10 years ago, where mm -hmm. it was really understood that one method of authentication didn't satisfy all users or all use cases. You know, as we mentioned before, healthcare professionals are, you know, somewhere gloves during certain procedures and they need to access information, uh, somewhere masks, uh, there's, you know, restrictions on use of cell phones. And so what we found is that the average healthcare professional needs 2.5 different methods, two and a half different methods that they're enrolled in on average so that they can come in one day and say, you know what, I'm wearing gloves. Can I just use a, you know, a face scan or I'm wearing my face mask, can I use my cell phone and be able to switch in and amongst these different methods so that, you know, the hospital, if you're an IT administrator in a hospital, you know, your job isn't to set a policy based on an authentication method, it's to figure out what your required method of identity assurance is. In other words, what's what's the threshold that you're going to allow 
this particular user, you know, to to authenticate to and use this method or methods in order to jump meet that hurdle, you know, and provide proof to a relative degree of assurance that they are who they say they are. And that's what we mean by the multimodal approach is making sure that users can enroll very easily and seamlessly in these different methods and then be able to use them easily and seamlessly as they go about throughout their day. Mm -hmm. That's really fascinating in terms of the, the flexibility factor there. You know, in a lot of other vertical markets, we talk about multimodal in terms of being able to scale up as sort of a multi-biometric, multi-factor system. But having right. that flexibility really does seem like a very important thing in healthcare specifically. Clinicians need immediate access to data and applications from any workstation at any time. Efficient security measures create more time with patients, higher quality care, and more satisfaction among staff. HID Digital Persona is used by clinics and hospitals for secure, compliant, and rapid authentication of medical providers and back office staff into critical applications, workstations, and networks. By leveraging your existing infrastructure, Digital Persona's technology integrates seamlessly with your most complex environments to accommodate and support operating system platforms. With HID Digital Persona, you can eliminate common and shared passwords, use secure authentication for PCs and shared kiosks, and simplify application access with single sign-on, giving you time to focus on patient care. To learn more about delivering a connected, secure, and efficient healthcare ecosystem, visit hidglobal.com IAM. And now, back to the podcast. There's a public-facing element to identities in hospitals, too. You know, visitors come and go. It's a high-risk environment. How can biometric technologies improve the visitor management piece of this healthcare puzzle? If you're in healthcare, you're in IT and in healthcare, you may not have heard of this term visitor management, or, or maybe you are familiar, but let's start at the base level and kind of define what that means. You know, hospitals are very dynamic environments and there's a lot of people. If you ever sat in the lobby of a hospital, you'll see all kinds of people coming and going. You'll see patients and contractors and people visiting those patients, and you'll see healthcare professionals transiting throughout the hospital. And there's a growing realization that there needs to be some sort of management around who is in the hospital, should they be there, you know, how, who authorized or how were they authorized to be there, and what can they do once they're there. Now, if you're a, a cybersecurity professional, you know, what I've just described is, is a field of practice called identity and access management. And there's a growing field called physical identity and access management, and it deals with exactly that. So if you're a hospital, you know, increasingly there are, you know, there, there's some start of some regulations that are being talked about, but no real regulations right now. But if you're looking at enterprise risk for your hospital, your, your hospital administrator, and you're looking at the risk of just having all these people in your environment, just walking around and having access to a so basically the run of the hospital with the exception of you know a few lockdown areas um, there, there's some risk there so what mm -hmm. uh you know visitor management is all about is being able to do identity and access management with these visitors making sure that they can enroll ahead of time that there's that enrollment process making sure that when they arrive at the hospital that they're onboarding or they're getting their badge is very seamless. They don't need to wait in line. They don't need to have an attended enrollment necessarily. 
and that once they get their badge, it's good for a period of time. So there's that life cycle. They can move throughout the hospital to the necessary parts that they can go to, they're allowed to go to, and that when their time is up, you know, that contractor's, you know, there for two weeks or that delivery driver's there for, you know, a few hours, that that access is then taken away. And mm -hmm. so that's what visitor management's all about. And when I say um, enterprise risk, that's, there's actually, um, I was watching TV last night, <laughs> Peter, and there, there's actually a show here in the U.S. called Taken at Birth. And it's just a, a terrible premise for a show, but it's a real life show about people who discovered that they were snatched from a hospital, you know, 30 or 40 years ago mm -hmm. and trying to find their real family. And that's really the nightmare scenario that hospitals, I mean, you, you talk to a hospital administrator, that's the nightmare scenario. And Absolutely. <laughs> in this, yeah, in this day and age, you know, um, you know, with family estrangement and domestic violence issues, when people check into ho um, hospitals and, uh, you know, maternity, birth and delivery, they have certain people they want to see and they have certain people that, hey, don't admit this person, my, my ex, you know, my in-laws, you know, or whatever, for whatever reason. And so visitor management can help pre-enroll people who should be there and help keep people out. And so that's really the thing. And then, you know, the question was, you know, how can biometric technologies help this? Well, there's a vetting piece of this visitor management system where you can set it up so that people can enroll remotely. So, hey, you know, I'm giving birth in a couple of weeks. Uh, if you'd like to come visit me in the hospital, just click on this link, you know, fill out a few forms, scan your driver's license. And then when that person shows up, a quick face scan comparison to their license that they've pre-scanned and that's been vetted as a legitimate driver's license can provide a certain level of onboarding identity assurance that that person is who they say they are. It really makes the hospital a much more trusted space and, you know, using that that uh, child snatcher changeling yeah. sort of scenario a is a really example. great way yeah. of, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, it's a great one because these are really, really, really high risk uh, environments and and there are people coming and going. Of course, you know, with that high throughput environment, you're serving a wide range of short-term visitors. There is also a number of legal implications in terms of yep. data storage and privacy. And uh, in that respect, are biometrics being considered for use in these visitor management systems? Yes, um, in some very short-term ways, right? So, you know, in the U.S., there are a few state laws that need to be adhered to. Uh, the most prominent one is in Illinois. Uh, but as people look at this as a, a solution that could be deployed, you know, around the globe, you have, of course, GDPR implications in uh, the EU. And, you know, generally, the industry aligns with kind of the most restrictive biometric requirements and tries to make sure that you can meet those requirements. So in consideration of those biometrics, you know, what are some of those things? Well, biometrics have to be securely stored. Uh, they have to be, you know, right to be forgotten, uh, so to speak. So after it's used and after that person has, is no longer has access to that, that record could or should be, you know, destroyed and forgotten. And then, you know, with biometrics, you know, it's best practice, they should always be done as templates. Uh, mm -hmm. So when a person's face is scanned or finger is scanned, it's not an actual image of that, which could be stolen, potentially manipulated, but it's a mathematical representation. And then you can look at tokenization and various other technologies that, 
you know, limit the use of how that biometric template is used, how it's used, and uh, who can use it. So that's the considerations that administrators who are looking at visitor management systems or any biometric system need to consider. We've been focusing a lot on this in terms of security and administrative efficiency, but the value proposition of biometrics in every case also includes greater convenience, right? So yep. how can biometric access management improve the visitor experience at a hospital? Yeah, exactly. The experience in a hospital now is, you know, especially if you're visiting somebody who, um, you know, is, is labor and delivery, for example, you know, that's a very tightly screened process in most hospitals, but it's also a very manual process. So it involves, you know, somebody checking a list, um, you know, and it really, really relies on, you know, the competency of that person checking that list, um, you know, looking at a driver's license, um, escorting that person up to the labor and delivery floor. These are all very manual processes and not very well repeatable. So the visitor management system and biometrics, the way they work hand in hand is you can submit a list of visitors. So if you know you're going to have a, a delegation visiting the hospital, you know, if you're, you're the administrator, if you know you're going to have some temporary contractors starting, or if it's just for the patient management, you know, you can pre-enroll those people and then when they show up it's as easy as them presenting you know a proof of who they are or whether that's you know the biometric face scan against a uh, an id that they have previously enrolled and it makes you know the badges all printed out uh, you hand it to them they can walk through the proper doors they can uh, not go through places they're not supposed to be and uh, the access can be manually or can be automatically taken away when that access is no longer needed. So it really is about making it easier for the visitors and more seamless mm -hmm. process for them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense, especially with that focus on the life cycle management. I think that, yep. um, yeah, that and then also the, the remote aspect seems to really be a really great proposition. I mean, just in terms of me, if, if I was visiting a hospital, I. Uh, I would prefer what we're describing now than <laughs> the alternatives. Yeah. Hospitals and clinics need to deliver the best in patient care while also working in an evolving compliance landscape. Enter HID Global, one of the only vendors that offers a truly converged badge, allowing users to carry a single card for a visual identity, network, cloud authentication, and physical access. Designed to be easy to use and fast to deploy, the HID Global FIDO compliant Crescendo card supports continuously evolving organizational and industry needs by eliminating one of the major causes of breaches and in security incidents, weak or stolen passwords. HID Crescendo is part of the smart healthcare continuum, seamlessly delivering a connected, secure, and efficient ecosystem from the door to the workstation and back home, all powered by HID Global. See how easy it is to go passwordless. Visit hidglobal.com slash FIDO. And now, back to the podcast. We've talked a lot about healthcare professionals and hospital visitors, but I'd like to talk now about patient identity. Uh, specifically, I want to talk about a major vector for health fraud and abuse, which is prescriptions. You know, it's a big topic. What is the state of e-prescription in 2020 and how can it be improved? You know, Peter, it's a confused mess. If you talk to healthcare professionals, they're very confused about what's required and how best to get there. 
people understand the benefits of it. They understand, you know, you want to try to eliminate doctor shopping. That puts hospitals and physicians at risk. It puts patient care at risk. So people understand the human element of this. It's the technology and the regulation. You know, it's been 10 years since the DEA came out with the e-prescribe draft recommendations. And 10 states have adopted some form of e-prescribe as a requirement, New York, Virginia, for example. But we still have a long ways to go. And I think what we need is some education as to best practices. So even though the DEA, you know, even though e-prescribe may not be required in your state to the nth degree, here's best practices and how to get there. And the other thing is there's an evolving tool set of IT technology. For example, PKI. Uh, PKI is public key infrastructure. So it's uh, the way you issue and, and uh, manage the life cycle of certificates. That's a key technology in e-prescription. And 10 years ago, that was available only as an on-premise offering. And now there are many service providers that offer PKI as a service. There are various technologies like that, like biometrics as a service, PKI as a service, authentication in the cloud that can make e-prescription much easier to implement even for the smallest clinic and much more palatable for the IT people that are managing that. Kind of circling back to what you mentioned about education then, you know, how are healthcare professionals being onboarded and verified into e-prescribed systems and what is the underlying technology involved? Well, right now, the, the underlying technology involved is a manual onboarding process. So physician, you know, goes to the administrator, gets, you know, uh, fingerprinted, gets, you know, identification checked. Then, as, as I mentioned, PKI is a key component for e-prescribe because you need what's called non-repudiation. You need to make sure to a high degree of certainty that it was that particular physician on that particular device that signed. And by signed, I don't mean scribble like physician sign where you can't read their name, but e-signed, meaning that they uh, did so with their certificate, a, a prescription that meets of a certain schedule. You know, not all prescriptions fall into that. And that's where we're at. But here's the thing. I mentioned that there's evolving tool sets and we need that education because now there are verification systems, again, coming from FinTech. FinTech has been leading the way in behavioral biometrics. They've been leading the way in verification systems. So there are now the onboarding systems that are completely electronic where physicians mm -hmm. can provide documentation, number one, to provide Make sure they're a legitimate person. Make sure that you know their medical license is up to date and various documents are provided because we have physicians that travel around and have admitting privileges to multiple hospitals and clinics. You know, this can be quite challenging for them to do all these different enrollments. An e-verification system takes that first step and verifies that they are a physician of standing that they can issue you know, prescriptions on this schedule and that can help onboard them onto these e-prescribed systems. So it's, it's some exciting new technology that people should be familiarizing themselves with. 
Yeah, again, talking about the the financial services industry, it, that sort of remote onboarding and e-verification technology was an absolute game changer. And so it's very exciting to see it come to, to healthcare uh, from yeah. my perspective. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and, I, um, and I think a lot of uh, healthcare professionals are excited about that too. The average enrollment, by the way, takes about 60 seconds, assuming you have all your documents lined up in front of you. So it's okay. it's a very simple and easy process. Yeah, well, I mean, we know that healthcare professionals are famously or rather infamously time poor. So that's, that's probably right. the best uh, selling point for them in terms of yep. this. You know, part of why I wanted to talk about e-prescription is, uh, you know, to, to go to another sort of high stakes example. But there is an ongoing opioid crisis in North America right now. And I'm wondering how can trusted identity technologies biometrics and otherwise help mitigate the ongoing opioid crisis. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there's a lot of different causes and, and we won't get into all the, you know, causes of the opioid crisis, but there's a general broad acknowledgement that there is one there. And to the degree mm -hmm. that people in cybersecurity and IT can help this, it's really to make sure that the physician who is issuing, you know, these drugs of, of a certain schedule um, on the DEA schedule are doing so and signing off on those in a way that we know that it was that physician that did that. And that produces an audit trail so that, you know, that you can go back and, you know, time was, you know, just to digress for a bit, time was that if you wanted to catch a potential doctor who was issuing a lot of opioids, you had to do this manually. You had to actually go to the pharmacies and get the records from all these different doctors. A centralized system like this, where you have an e-prescribed system, it's much easier to go back and audit and figure out you know, who is issuing these prescriptions and what amount and how much. And I think that's helpful. And mm -hmm. that right there, and again, you know, doctors, you know, the vast majority of them are doing the right thing. And they're, they're making sure that the patients are getting the, the critical care that they need, and these these opioids are are helping lots of people, uh, but they have potential for being abused. And then on the patient side, same thing. You know, with with that e-prescribe system, you can tell who is you know going back for for more opioids. A patient who is going around to different doctors, and that can also be audited and potentially stopped. So so these technologies, you know, biometrics, the ability to basically unlock an identity or, or an authentication. The e-prescribe with asymmetric PKI, so you, doctors can sign and securely transmit orders. We didn't really touch on that, but securely e-transmit those orders to pharmacies. Um, mm -hmm. You know, no more paper involved where somebody can, you know, prescription, you know, um, you know, 30 pills, they put an extra zero behind it. So those types of, of transcription errors or intentional mistakes can be, you know, greatly reduced or, you know, eliminated with an e-prescribed system. So that's the, the great hope there for these types of technologies. As you're describing that, there's a lot of parallels again with another sector where there's a precedent of this really transforming things, albeit in a lower risk scenario. But, you know, I'm thinking about all the enterprises that have used um, mm -hmm. biometrics in a centralized way for employee management, access management, and time and attendance to yep. prevent buddy punching which is you know a type of fraud um, but uh that is a really hopeful note to end on jeff how can listeners get in touch with you to learn more about the topics we discussed in this episode 
Oh, that's great. Well, HID Global is my company, and we have a healthcare practice that's dedicated to helping the uh, identity and access management and physical access to hospitals and hospital systems. You can check us out at hidglobal.com. Jeff, thanks again for taking the time to talk to me today. Great conversation, and I think people are going to really enjoy hearing it. So thanks very much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Peter. And so concludes my conversation with Jeff Carpenter, Product Marketing Director of Cloud Authentication and IAM Solutions at HID Global. To learn more about the topics discussed in this episode, please visit hidglobal.com. And to learn more about healthcare biometrics, visit findbiometrics.com and read our most recent featured article on the topic. I'd like to thank Jeff again for joining me on this episode. Our podcast theme music is by Logamrad. I have been your host, Peter Counter. Thank you for joining me on the ID Talk podcast. Mm-hmm.